Hey, good morning. I'm so excited to have all of you here with us. Uh, week number five of a series called This Is Us, where we're going through the core uh, beliefs and vision and activity of our church. Uh, we're, this is week five of a, of a series, that, a section that we're doing on doctrine, our core doctrines, what we hold to be kind of in our closed hands here and, and what we would engage with um, as kind of perimeters, what type of church we are, and what type of church, uh, what, what, what we believe in as a church. Uh, and so we're in week uh, five of that. Um, and really, I wanted to remind you kind of what we're doing. This is our, my goal here in terms of walking through this together is, is really Colossians 2.7, um, where it talks, where Paul's talking to the church of Colossae. He says, and now, just as you accepted Christ Jesus as your Lord, you must continue to follow him. Let your roots grow down into him and let your lives be built on him. Then your faith will grow strong in the truth you were taught and you will overflow with thankfulness. And so uh, really what, it, what it's like for us to become, I really want to know what it's like for us to become a church that has roots. Because I believe that when we have roots that are strong, we have roots that are deepening, we will have a reach that's very far. And so our reach that is far will only be affected, will only grow uh, by the size of roots that we have. And so we really want to continue to uh, ask God to, to help us grow roots as we follow. And what I love about Colossians 2 is that he even gives us a litmus test for this. He says that your roots are growing down deep when you have an overwhelming or a growing sense of gratitude and thankfulness for the things that are in your life. And so when you have different aspects of, when you're looking at the different aspects of your life, is there a sense of gratitude? Is there a sense of thankfulness that you're thanking God for all that he has given you? That all, do you have that sense that, that you're engaging with him in that? Um, that's how you can tell if your roots are actually deepening in him. And so uh, that's a challenge for us because if we want to be a church that has a far and growing reach, we need to have a church, we need to be a church that has really deep roots. And so I've just been praying and asking God when I think about you and I pray for you that he would deepen our roots and have him grow in us so that we can eventually see our reach uh, extend way past what it's even is now. Um, and so just really what we've been doing over the last number of weeks is saying, okay, what is a church that, a church that has deep roots, what does a church believe in? What are the core doctrines of a church with deep roots? And so just by way of a quick review, the first week we talked about the Bible, that God speaks. The Bible is inspired, infallible, and profitable for teaching, reproof, correction, and training. We open the Bible each and every week because we want to have deep roots. Uh, the second one we talked about was the Trinity. God is the nature of God, is that there's one God that eternally exists as three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. They're three in one, co-equal, co-eternal. That's the nature of our God, a community of mutual self-giving love that we find ourselves in. Um, we, that's who we find reaching out. This triune God of the universe is announcing um, something good to us. It's the gospel the, that God restores the gospel is the good news that the triune God is orchestrating the restoration of all things back to the Father through the Son by the Holy Spirit. And so the gospel, there's got to be good news coming. If, if, if we're absent of good news, we're not, uh, we're not being impacted by the gospel. So this good news is that God is orchestrating all things, and he's doing this res restoration project through the church. He sends the church um, as the body of Christ sent into the world to usher in the kingdom of God. So who we are as a church exists to become a, part, a, part, a full participant and full engagement in the restoration of all things. So if the triune God of the universe is announcing good news, he's using the activity and work of the church to usher in that restoration. And then today, this last piece here is the kingdom, God reigns, that the kingdom of God 
was inaugurated with the resurrection of Jesus is partially experienced today and fully installed upon Christ's return. So today, what we're doing is we're interacting with the second coming of Christ, what we believe about the end times, you know, just really light topic this morning as you come to church today. We're going to be looking at the book of Revelation together, really the last two chapters, and so I'm really excited about that. So grab your Bibles, the Bibles on your seats or on your phone or however you engage with that. Go to Revelation 21 and 22. That's on page 1054. It's literally just like go to the back of the, you know, turn the Bible upside down and then open and you're, you're there. Um, that's where that is. But 1054, Revelation 21 and 22 um, is where we'll be uh, together today. Uh, the Bible will teach the end times or is teaching, it will teach the second coming of Christ this way. Have you ever been stuck in a gap between where you were and where you're going? It's kind of like if, if, you know, if you've ever done a road trip with some kids before, give me a shout, right? Like you're stuck between, oh man, I want to go back home right now. I immediately want to stop this trip like right now and I want to head back. Um, there's, this, there's kind of this, this time frame where you're like, Okay, I'm a little too far to go back to where I was, but I'm not quite yet where I'm going. Or or perhaps there's a a down payment. If you ever made a down payment on anything, like if you, you know, maybe some furniture or a car, and you just haven't picked up the car, you haven't picked up what you purchased, but you put the down payment in, so you're kind of invested in it, you kind of understand, but, and there's a sense of expectancy, a sense of hope, I can't wait for this to come in, I can't wait for to pick up the new car, I can't wait to do all that sort of thing. There's this down payment thing, where it's this time frame between... Uh, where you started and where you're going. And, and really, the Bible teaches us that we are right now in this time frame of, of history in between what God started on the cross and what he will finish upon his return. So we're stuck in the gap. We came, it's kind of far from where we were, headed where we're going somewhere else. But we're stuck in this middle, um, this middle tension between who we were and who we're, who we're going to be. Um, and so the end times, the second coming of Christ is something that's coming, um, and yet what it's, it's already partially installed today because of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. And so this is what we can, we know this to be true, and we can trust the promise of, of God in this because he says that Jesus is actually the down payment that this life is going to be. This Jesus is actually the first installment, the promise for the life that's coming as a result of his work. And so 1 Corinthians 15 um, he, where, is where, he, is where he, he mentions this. Paul says, if there's no resurrection of the dead, then Christ has not been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then your faith is useless and you are still guilty of your sins. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. He is the first of a great harvest of all who have died. And so the resurrection of Jesus, this announcement that there's new life, that things aren't dead, that Friday is not the last word, that Sunday is coming, and that resurrection is possible for all, is the announcement is made on the grounds that Jesus himself was resurrected and inaugurates this new kingdom that we can experience today. And so that, that, this is kind of what we're, we're hoping for. He, they put the down payment in, and we're longing for this time frame, this Revelation 21 and 22 time frame, the second, t- the second coming of Christ, for him to come restore all things the way that God originally intended them to be. And so we, we kind of we look for this. So, but, but really what we do is we find ourselves in the book of Revelation. If you've ever read the book of Revelation, you know it's a piece of cake to walk through, right? Just completely easy, just to t- go chapter by chapter, verse by verse, and get through that. The book of Revelation, is, 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 you know, in all reality, is pretty difficult. It was written in the, in the year of 70, 
AD, it was a massive per- Christian persecution by the Roman e- uh, Empire. Um, that literally thousands of people were either being tortured or killed um, by some sort of fashion, of some sort of facet of the government. And so John, the writer, is uh, he's on the island of Patmos, where he was just isolated by the same empire after being dipped in a bucket of tar, expected to die. He doesn't die. They send him to an island by himself. How about that for a good week in your life, right? So he finds himself on the island of Patmos, no doubt in much, much, comfort, much discomfort, and he meets with Jesus there. Um, and how's that for pastor, like understanding that Jesus meets you at the, at the lowest times of your life? He, he literally meets Jesus at, in this island, and he see, begins to see a, a vision of all that God is going to do. When you read the book of Revelation, here, here's, today I'm going to give you like a big, I'm going to give you a big pile of theology. So if you'd allow me to be just a, like a, just a Bible geek in front of you for a few minutes, uh, just that'll be good. And then we'll, 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 end, we'll wrap up with some, some implications at the end. But when you're looking at this book of Revelation, you have to understand that the book of Revelation was written for people. It wasn't just this vision that someone laid out and that was it. What, what John was doing was writing a letter to this group of Christians that were under immense persecution. And he was writing them with a specific writing. Uh, it's called apocalyptic writing. He was writing them to, with this encouragement to say, it's okay to get through this. He was promising that God was going to invade human history and get rid of all wickedness at one point. And, at one, and, and in one day, we'll be able to celebrate together the fact that God is restoring all things. And so when you read the book of Revelation, there's really one of four different ways that you can read it. Um, and you have to kind of get to, a, you, you kind of have to get to an understanding of this or kind of get comfortable with one of them. Um, and, but we'll, we'll dive into one really quickly. The first way you can read it is as an idealist, um, where the events are not literal. Like these are just symbolic spiritual events. None of, none of this will actually happen. None of this has happened. And so we're going to kind of pursue it uh, that way. It's just a story, a good story uh, per se. Another way you can read it as a futurist, where the events of Revelation have not happened yet, and we need to wait for them to come. Um, if, you, you know, if you remember just the Left Behind series and, and, and books like that regarding the end times, those are f- coming from a futurist belief, meaning that the events have not taken place, and we need to wait for them, and we need to look for them. Um, we need to be ready for them. And so the question, are we in the end times, that, that type of question um, is really coming from a futurist point of view. The third one is historicism, uh, where the events are fulfilled in the past, present, and future, meaning, um, so like John wrote this, this, this story, that he, wrote, he wrote this uh, letter to encourage people in, this, in the Christian persecution at the time that was there. Martin Luther, who was a big historicist when it came to the book of Revelation, he used it as a way to understand uh, the papal authority in the 1500s, and so he would really got, gather, gathered and conjured a lot of uh, uh, get a lot of encouragement from the book of Revelation regarding his immediate situation, and people even apply it to different situations today. And so histor- proper historicists will, will see this applying to different seasons of life. The last one, though, is a preterist point of view, preterism, where the events were in the past, um, but they have implications for the future, and they have a prophetic outlook um, for what's coming. And so Revelation 20 through, 1 through 20 really are events that were written they were, they were, it was imagery and symbol, symbolic of events that, were t- that had taken place in the first century, um, but we're using them to bring implications about where we're headed, and then together we're longing for the restoration of all things in, 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 verse, in chapters 21 and 22. 
So because, again, because of the genre of scripture that Revelation is, this apocalyptic literature, that, that, that there's symbolism and imagery used in order to provide encouragement for massive, for massive uh, persecution or just a living hope in the midst of your situations. Um, because of that, because of that genre, we would find ourselves as, um, in our belief as like a partial preterist idea, like this last one, where the events were specific to a time frame, but we use them to long for what will be coming. And so when you read Revelation 20 and 20, 21 and 22, that has not happened yet. We look for that. We long for that. But the beginning part is really imagery and some symbolic um, language of providing comfort and hope to people who had already engaged in some pretty serious persecution in the first century. So um, really what this does, it puts us in a camp where we understand, first, that God through his life, by sending his son Jesus and through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus has inaugurated the kingdom of God. He has established this new kingdom that we can participate in. Um, but it has not been fully realized yet. Are we, are we tracking so far? Do we need a coffee break? Let's, let's, do, let's do a quick timeout. Let's do a halftime. We'll come back in like five minutes. I know that was a lot of, that was a theology dump on you. Uh, but, but really, in all reality, this will infuse a whole lot of what we're gonna be talking about. I think it's really good that we talk about this. It, but but what we what we it puts us in a camp of us understanding that God has inaugurated the kingdom, but it's not fully realized yet. So he's, he started it. We begin to experience portions of it, but we know not everything is complete. We know not everything is done. And so we begin to long for and hope for the day where he fully restores all things, although today we're just experiencing parts of it, okay? So 1 Corinthians 13 is going to explain what I'm talking about here um, is in a way that this is inaugurated. A lot of times you hear different parts of this chapter read at weddings, but this is really where he's going with the chapter, is where he says, for we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. And so Paul is talking about the same experience. We're stuck between what God started on the cross and what he's gonna finish upon his return. So our reality today regarding the kingdom of God is one where we see dimly. Not everything is perfect, but when Jesus returns, all things will be made right. We'll be experiencing the full restoration of all things and we'll begin to see the kingdom, experience the kingdom in ways that he originally intended for us to be. Are we tracking this morning? Come on. And so we see 1 Corinthians 13 pursuing that. So the question is this, okay, why apocalyptic literature? Why are you doing this whole eschatology thing on a Sunday? Like, what, what are we doing in all of that? Like, why does any of this matter, right? That's what everyone was just like, why? Like, why? What you believe to be true about tomorrow will affect how you live today. The reason why this is so important, healthy eschatology is what we're talking about today. A healthy view of the end times will affect how you live today. And so the healthier understanding that you have good doctrine regarding the end of the world will affect what you do today. And there's really four pieces from Revelation 21 and 22 that I want to consider alongside with you regarding our doctrine and how it infuses life into us. The reason why it's important for, for, for Christians to have healthy doctrine is because it's important for us to have, it's important for us to infuse us with healthy life. Healthy doctrine will create healthy 
life. And so when we infuse uh, a good sense of doctrine into our day-to-day, we'll be able to understand what what in the world is actually uh, worth uh, participating in and how to actually participate participate in it from a Christian perspective. All right, are we ready? Cool, sweet. I think we're good. We got some glossy eyes, no worries. I think we're, we're good. We're good on that. Anyway, so Revelation 21 and 22, four reasons or four, four things the return of Christ is for. Believing in the new heaven and new earth um, is for four things this morning. Number one, it's for hope. It's for hope. So Revelation 21, verse one. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the old heaven and the old earth had disappeared, and the sea was also gone. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven like a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. I heard a loud shout from the throne saying, look, God's home is now among his people. He will live with them and they will be his people. God himself will be with them. He will wipe every tear from their eyes and there will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. All these things are gone forever. And the one sitting on the throne said, look, I am making everything new. Then he said to me, write this down, for what I tell you is trustworthy and true. And he also said, it is finished. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To all who are thirsty, I will give freely from the springs of the water of life. All who are victorious will inherit all these blessings, and I will be their God, and they will be my children. Verse 8, but cowards, unbelievers, the corrupt, the murderers, the immoral, those who practice witchcraft, idol worshipers, and all liars... Their fate is in the fiery lake of burning sulfur. This is the second death. And so you have a sense of hope that, that, that there is activity, that God is going to be making everything new, and that upon our death that we will see a, a, a moment of resurrection that takes place um, where all things will be made new. And based off our belief will be whether or not we experience that or we, exper- or we don't experience that. And so we are fused, for those of us that believe, are infused with a sense of hope. Why? Because we believe that God is going to come to restore all things. Where is the activity taking place? Like what activity is, is going on here? Um, what direction is, is going on here for God in Revelation 21, ver- like verse 1 and 2? Um, what, like is, is, are we, a lot of times when we think of heaven, a lot of times we think of us going up, Right? But what's happening here? Where is heaven coming? He's coming, it's coming down, right? That's a big, uh, that's 180, that's 180 degrees, right? That's a big difference. Now, when I started to read this like this, it literally changed my entire view of scriptures as when I first, when I first engaged in this. Because when you, if you look at where the activity, where the, where, the, where the direction of God is always coming, it's always coming down. Yet when we think of heaven, we always think of us leaving, God is reaffirming his good creation. God started out his creation, Genesis 1 and 2, with this announcement that it was good. It was very good. And there was brokenness because of sin. But he's been orchestrating a plan to restore the way he originally intended the world to become. And so God is coming down. He comes down in creation, right? He wants to be with his people. Genesis 2 said he's walking in the cool of the day with Adam and Eve. How cool is is that to think about a God that's just pursuing his people, wanting to walk and talk with them and be a part of life with them? 
And then when things break, he comes down again. He sends his son Jesus to begin the restoration process fully. And so you see some movement down. And when you look through the book of John, or actually most of the Gospels, where do you find Jesus all the time? He's amongst people, touching them. He's moving them. He's engaging them. He's healing them. He wants to be with his people. He's moving down. He's moving down. And then Revelation 21 and 22, he finally comes down so that he can fully restore all things. And so when I think about it, the sense of hope is, you know what? Things are broken, but they don't have to be forever. For the Christian, there is no sense of hopelessness. We don't speak about people like they'll never change. And I mean, trust me, we have a few in our lives, don't we? Like there's one person that came to your mind right then and there. You're like, they'll never change. But for the Christian, there is no such thing because although Friday is now, Sunday's coming, right? And if you didn't think of anyone in your head at that moment, that person is probably you and your whole family knows that about you, right? Like that's who that is. There is a sense of hope, God coming down. God is going to come and restore all things, in this moment, in this land. That's why, he, that's why Paul says this in 1 Thessalonians, where he talks about hope, and he says, but we don't want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. We have a sense of hope that God's gonna restore all things. We're gonna be able to see our loved ones again. We're gonna be able to understand that, that God is, we're gonna be with Jesus one day. We don't have to be stuck here in, in, in between different circumstances. We don't have to be stuck where, where just things aren't the way God intended them to be. Uh, Romans 8 says that the creation longs with a deep groaning for things to be made right. Like you know what this feels like, but sometimes you might not know to call it God. Creation groans within our Romans 12, too, says that we should rejoice in hope. We should rejoice in this hope that we have. There's hope because you know what the alternative is? No hope, right? Like no hope. And, and certainly moving through life with understanding that God is restoring all things, that God is going to ultimately restore all things perfectly soon. It gives us a vitality and a sense of joy in life, something that we can engage in. You know, one of the one of the biggest things that we that we will um, that will be tested on, I think, in this is when we go through seasons of death or tough circumstances in life. Do, do you grieve or do you move through those seasons as as someone without any hope? Do you move through those without? Do you move through those seasons without any hope? I remember when I was in, in high school, I just had a friend. I had a friend that just died tragically, um, and and it was a really weird. Uh, thing for me at the time, and, and but what it really did is it tested my belief about who God was. Do I actually believe in Him right now? Like, is He big enough for a, situ- a situation like this? And I remember my my faith was rocked to the core. I, I had a I had a different faith at that point, and it was changed after that because I believed that God. Like, I just believed in those circumstances. It believed in that God was changing me in the midst of that. And so you, so you have to understand, you have to, you have to figure out, are you grieving or are you moving through tough situations in life as a person without any hope? Because there is always hope for those who believe that Christ is going to come and ultimately make all things uh, new again. Are we, are we together this morning? Um, number two is honor. The belief of the new heavens and new earth, the, the, resur- the return of Christ is for honor. I, I love this. 
part, Revelation 21, verses 22 um, through 24. It says, I, I saw no temple in the city, for the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. And the city has no need of sun or moon, for the glory of God illuminates the city, the, the, and the Lamb is, is its light. The nations will walk in its light, and the kings of the world will enter the city in all of their glory. And it, it just talks about this time um, where it really much of Revelation talks about this time where we are gathered around the throne of God, praising and glorifying the creator of the universe. There's just this honor. Um, we will t- walk in light versus, you know, how many, I mean, you, you know this, like the, the things that grow in the dark aren't things that we like, right? When you open up the, when you, when you lift up a rock and you see what's under the rock, you're like, that's gross, right? Like we don't want that. We don't want to eat that, but we want to eat things that grow in the sun, right? And there are things that we engage in. There's light, there's life, there's joy, there's praise because a life that honors God is a life that's going to experience life. And so we see in the new heavens and new earth that, that there's just a propensity for joy. There's this propensity for honor. There's a propensity for worship. There's, just, there's this engagement with the fact that, that we are in the presence of God the way he intended us to be. We are in relationship with him in ways that we intended to be in relationship with him. And so we long for that. We're engaging with that because that's something that, will, that gives us good news. It gives us a sense of hope. But again, when we go through tough seasons of life, like dark nights of the soul, I think we have a, an opportunity on earth that we don't have in heaven. And that opportunity is to praise and glorify God in the midst of our pain, in the midst of our circumstances. Because all of those things don't exist in heaven. They don't exist in this new heavens and new earth. But we have this opportunity to honor and praise God now in this inaugurated kingdom. In this, in this, uh, the fact that we can see through a glass dimly, this season of life where we're just, we're, things aren't as God intended them to be, and you know it. Like, you just have a full realization of it. Like, this is not how it was supposed to be. Yet, even still, in my moment right now, I can give God a gift that I can't give him when I get to heaven. I can give him a gift right now of praise and glory and honor in the midst of my circumstances because he's worthy today. And so we have this ability to give him honor because we have inaugurated, we have, we have this kingdom that's available to us now. And so we, we, we pursue that, we engage with that. Um, C.S. Lewis talks about it this way, if I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation that I have, uh, explanation is that I was made for another world. And so we, we live with that, this, uh, this ability to honor and praise. Uh, we're going to close the service today with, with, with a song that we're, we just sing, Bless the Lord. Like, bless the Lord. It's just, there's nothing that I want from you, God, other than to give you praise and glory. And that's what we're going to be able to do as we experience life in the kingdom. And so, and so the return of Christ is for hope. It's for honor. Um, number three, it's for healing. It's for healing. Um, chapter 22, verse 1, uh, says it this way. The angel showed me a river with the water of life, clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb. It flowed down the center of Main Street. On each side of the river grew a tree of life, bearing 12 crops of fruit with a fresh crop each month. The leaves were used for medicine to heal the nations. 
No longer will there be a curse upon anything, for the throne of God and the Lamb will be there, and his servants will worship him, and they will see his face, and his name will be written on their foreheads, and there will be no night there, no need for lamps or sun, for the Lord God will shine on them, and they will reign forever and ever. The angel said, everything you have heard and seen is trustworthy and true. The Lord God who inspires his prophets has sent his angel to tell his servants what will happen soon. So he talks about there's no more night. There's no need for lamps. And there's, there'll, be, there'll be no night here. Uh, you know, his name will be written on their foreheads. It's like this completion. Again, what's happening here is God is healing the world. Revelation 21 and 22 is a completion of what he intended in Genesis 1 and 2. He's trying to get the two to go back together. And he starts it with Jesus, but he finishes it when Jesus returns. And so he's trying to heal the world. If, if, the, if the activity of heaven is to come down, is to be here, is to engage with the world, if that is taking place, that will radically change your purpose in life. When I, when I understood this again for the first time, it completely changed the way I interacted with the world. It completely interacted, changed the way I had a sense of purpose with my own life. When you, when you pursue this, when you pursue this purpose, you'll have an activity to go towards right? Think about what Jesus did in his incarnation. He comes down. There's a separation between him and somebody else. There's a big gap in the middle, right? It's called sin. And what does Jesus do? He closes it. He pursues us. God is coming here. And so Christians, the church will be about going towards, not about retreating from. It'll be about going towards this activity that is moving towards. And so when you see brokenness, when you see, when you see unhealth, when you see things that aren't going the way that God intended them to go, you don't retreat from that and say, well, shape up. You move towards it because that's where you find the life of Christ. Are we, are we tracking about that? We, like there's a sense of healing that comes when you are pursuing the things of God. You don't step back and say, well, shape up and maybe I'll engage with you. That's not what Jesus did for you, and yet a lot of times in our own, th- in our own lives, we, we do that. We do that. That's why, that's, that's why like, the, whole, the whole Christian boycott thing always drives me nuts. So I'm like, why? Like, Jesus didn't do that for us, and yet we're doing that. I don't, get, I don't understand that. Healing doesn't happen from distance. Healing happens when you're sitting next to somebody in the well. We have a strong sense of mission because our God came. And so what we see here in Revelation 22 is that the water, the life of God is healing our community. It's healing everything around us. It's healing everyone around us. And that's what we want to be a part of. That's what we want to engage in. That's why we do things like the Hope Center. That's why we pray for one, because we believe this stuff heals. And you don't engage in mission if you don't believe it doesn't heal. And so this will literally change, I think, every aspect of your life. For me, I, I look at life a lot of times in four aspects. There's, this is like a classic kind of spaces understanding, but there's really four spaces of life. There's church, home, work, and hobby. And so if, if heaven is coming down and God is healing the nations through the church, that will change the trajectory of every aspect of my life. So when I come to church, I'm not coming to church to receive goods. What I'm doing is coming to church to be empowered so that I can go back out and participate in the restoration of all things, right? So I'm not coming here so that I can receive. I say, okay, I need to recenter myself on the Lord so that I can actually go participate in the mission of God. 
right? So church becomes about empowerment, not, um, not receiving. Uh, home is not just about, it, home is, what you're doing is you're, it, you're discipling your family to be about the restoration of all things. You got to pastor or, or lead the group of people that God entrusted to you so that they can participate in as well. That there's glory in the lifestyle of someone who loves Jesus. That, that, like when you say like this stuff works, um, one, of the, one of the best ways that you can evangelize someone is just have them over for dinner so that they don't know you're not just a weird Christian that no, doesn't talk to anybody. Just have them over for dinner. Like, oh, you're normal. Oh, sweet. Oh, like, I thought you were weird. Um, like, come over, come over for dinner, you know? Because my family is about glorifying God. We have a sense of joy. We have a sense of a fullness of life because we believe that the best way to live is the Jesus way. So home becomes different. Work, you're not just going for a paycheck. You're going to participate in the ongoing creation of the world, right? This is all eschatology. Like, this is all healthy belief of the end times. I have a renewed sense of mission through my work that I'm not just going to receive a paycheck, but Colossians 3 says I need to do all things as if I'm doing them for the Lord. And so I'm going to engage in the mission of God to help people see who God is, help people understand what the life change in my life, and also help people understand that there's purpose and a sense of drive when we are actually taking, the peop- taking people from, from death to life because of, because of Christ. And they will see that. Philippians 2 says, you are a star shining in the darkness when you're living the way Christ did, being humble and pursuing him in all that you do. Like that's part of your work, even your hobby. Even your hobby will be changed if you have a healthy belief of the end times. Like, you know, like when you go to your kids' sports games right now, um, like it's, it, it, it will change everything about the way that you watch them. Right now, you know, my oldest kid is, is playing football. And, uh, and, and so, it, it, but our job is not to make sure he gets his playing time that he deserves. Because I'll tell you right now, Neither one of my boys are going to be pro athletes, right? It took me a while to get used to that, right? Like, I'm still grieving that one. Like, I get that. And, you know, I'm still holding out hope maybe for a little bit. But, but like, that's not the job of a parent. The jo- our job there, if we are participating in the restoration of all things, is to make sure we're connecting with families that are there, make sure that we're exalting Christ in our recreation. Even that's possible, like, we're in the midst of that. We, we glorify God in the midst of our activity. It's not just about making sure that we get what we want and make sure we get we, the fun that we have that's due to us is make, make sure that we get that because that, you never see Christ doing that. You never see him doing that. The trajectory of heaven is coming down and moving towards and for healing. And so for you, what part of your life right now are you causing separation because it makes you feel better versus how are you moving towards this with a sense of healing so that you can see uh, the resurrection of, of God take place in all aspects of your life? So number three, it's healing. So we have, we have hope, we have uh, honor, we have healing, and lastly, we have hearing, hearing. Verse 17, 22 verse 17 says it this way. Jesus is speaking. He says, that the, and he says, that the, the spirit and the bride say, come. Let anyone who hears this say, come. Let anyone who is thirsty, come. Let anyone who desires drink freely, 
from the water of life. You know, you, know what, you know what John ends with? You know what he ends the whole book of Revelation with? He says, this matters today. This matters today. Have a sense of hope, a, a sense of purpose and healing, a sense of worship and pursuit as you honor. He's ultimately saying, come. What part of your life today do you need to bring to God? What I love about John, this is the same guy that wrote the, the Gospel of John. And in, in John chapter 4, he tells a story about a woman that meets Jesus at the well. Jesus, like, pursues her at the well at noontime, right? He, she's not supposed to be there. No one draws well, water from a well at a time when, when there's all this, uh, when, when it's very hot out. And, but we, this woman was going to the well because she wanted to hide from the other people. She had a deep sense of shame. Jesus comes to her and says, uh, you know, hey, go get me your husband. Go get me your husband. She's like, well, I don't have one. He said, you want your right. You have, you've actually had five, and the person you're with right now isn't your husband either. And what you see Jesus doing here is not just, is not condemning her, but you see what Jesus is doing is saying, I'm coming towards you. In your deepest area of shame, embarrassment, of lifelessness of brokenness i'm coming to you in this moment i'm meeting you exactly where you're at so that you can know i'm big enough for it so you can know i am big enough for this and what he's saying to us today perhaps is this you know what you know the thing that you're just straight up embarrassed about you know the thing that you're just straight up like broken over he's saying hey hey come hey bring that to me Hey, bring that to me. Go and get me your husband. Go and get me your money. Go and get me your finances. Go and get me your relationships. Go and get me your work. Go and get me your, your embarrassment, your pain, your shame. Go and get that to me and bring it to me because I say come. Because if you actually come, there's hope for you. There's healing for you. There's honor waiting for the person that brings their stuff to God, and yet all the time we spend our time waiting, saying, oh, I can't come, I can't. You know, he wouldn't accept this. I gotta be perfect, I gotta wait. And he says, the perfect hasn't come yet. He's coming, and he's finding himself in you. He's moving towards you. And the crowd went wild, right? Like, that's, that's the stuff that where, where he says, where he's pursuing us, church. The trajectory of heaven is to come down to you. And that should literally bring hope, um, and the emotion of hope. It should literally bring honor and draw worship from our hearts. It should literally heal us because we're broken without him. And so his invitation for you today is to come. Hey, bring me the thing that you're embarrassed about. Bring it to me. You're not condemned. And then he also says, don't do that to others. Don't do that to others. Come. The bride and the spirit, they come. And so having a healthy view of what's coming will draw honor, will draw hope, will draw healing as we hear the triune God of the universe announce to you, come. Come. So what part of your life today? you need to bring to God. This is the healthy, this is a healthy view. 
This is a healthy view of the end times. The second coming, God is going to come. The Christian hope is that things aren't broken forever, that God will actually restore all things. And we have joy in that. We find hope in that. We find healing in that. And it draws worship from our hearts as we hear him say, come.